Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? And we're back again. With me as always is Baz. How are things Baz over there? What's happening in RPG world where you are? <laughs> things are awesome as always. What's happening in RPG world? Oh my goodness. Um, we've come off the back of a string of massively cool interviews haven't we? And we've been in the OSR for the last couple of weeks and we've got secret projects going on and back of rewards for our patrons and we're beavering away it has been a really busy 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 time and that's a really good problem to have yeah absolutely i've got super excited as well i've just sent things from the flood as released on oh, kickstarter man. today and i <laughs> i thought it was like my special little thing tales from the loot was kind of like my thing that i felt like i gave to the world to a certain extent we did a little yeah. interview with tomas from free Oligan last year and um yeah, I thought like, oh, hooray, I've seen this like niche thing that nobody else knows about. And within seconds of me posting about it on Twitter, about 400 other people were also posting, I'm yeah. back, this thing is amazing. So uh, the word is out there now. It's no longer yeah. my hipster secret. Apparently everybody loves their stuff. <laughs> That's true. And I think uh, Things for the Flood funded in like 10 minutes. So yeah. by the time you hear this, <laughs> it's not an issue anymore. Good Lord. Yeah, one of our lovely patrons... Uh, and um, he was trying to post live updates but by the time he'd finished typing it <laughs> it funded as he was posting it's like halfway funded or something because <laughs> there's that many backers so yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that when it comes out I'm um, I'm hacking my way uh, quite slowly but but productively through 13th Age in Glorantha following on from our yes. recent interview with uh, Mr Jonathan Tweet who was has very graciously gifted us a, a, a copy of the game so uh, we've got some actual play in the offing for this so we've, we've gathered together some <laughs> some smart posse and uh, we're going we're gonna to get on the interwebs and, and maybe record some actual play for that and that'll be I'm really excited to see to see what happens when we get together and um, and try and see who gets to play the duck yeah I've I've called for a duck free zone but we'll see we'll see how it goes because I know some <laughs> people are fans but yeah. we've assembled a nice little cadre, haven't we? We've got a couple of 13th mm. Age experts, uh, myself and one or two others know all about Glorantha, and then there's some people who don't know very much about either, so it's a good mix of people to get around the gaming table and give it a good shake and see what we think. Yeah, and um, speaking of, of, uh, of game books that I've been frantically reading, the other thing that's dropped into our inboxes uh, is, is the subject of our main topic tonight. So um, we've got a, a lovely interview with a, a top man, um, you and I have spent a happy hour in the company of Russ Morrissey. Uh, Russ is the mastermind behind EN World and EN Publishing, um, and their latest magnum opus is just about to drop on Kickstarter, depending on when we release this. And uh, that was good times, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, it was really good. I think something that came out from that. Uh, we're talking, of course, of Judge Dredd and the Worlds of 2000 AD, which is about to land, um, was that both uh, Russ... Uh, and basically anybody else involved in the project is like super excited about it almost as excited as us uh, and I think it's kind of one of those IPs that if you ever were a 2008 fan or you know about Judge Dredd from one of the couple of movies and stuff like that you just kind of like if you like it you really like it it's a bit of a Marmite sort of thing almost mm. except I've not met anybody who hates it so it's like Marmite but good <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that definitely came out through that uh, that chat we just had then was like he's super like passionate about it and so as everybody else he's got involved in the project and that's just got to lead to success right yeah absolutely so i guess you know uh other side of this jingle uh you should hear myself and gaz and the dulcet southampton tones of mr russ morrissey and um as always thanks for listening guys we massively appreciate your support and please do drop us a line do give us some feedback um we we love to know which which, which direction we should be steering the good smart party ship in 
So let us know how that goes. And um, without further ado, here's our interview with Russ. Yeah, and uh, just a quick shout out from me to Rick Knott, our Letters Patreon supporter, uh, with people like you. We can keep on the air, keep the hosting fees done, and uh, thanks very much for your support. Cheers, Rick. Howdy, Smart Party fans. Thanks to your amazing backing of our loyal patrons, and your first issue of Smart Scene is now available to download at Drive Through RPG. For the ridiculously low price of a mere $3, it can be nestling within your hard drive in seconds. Thrill to the advice of Trad Brad in Indiana, wax nostalgic with the 90s, chortle as you play con bingo. Just type Smart Scene into the search bar over at Drive-Thru. Years from now, you'll be able to say with confidence, I like their early stuff the best. Stay smart now. So, dear listeners, here we are. We've uh, got another special guest on for you. I can't believe how many we've got lined up, but yet another one's here. Uh, and a cracker indeed we've got this time. Being fans of good old-fashioned British stuff, we'll remember this from back in the day, Just Dread, 2000 AD, The World's Thereof is a fan favourite of the Smart Party. And so, especially for you guys listening at home, we've got with us Russ Morrissey. How are you doing, Russ? Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. And of course, with me as always is Baz. How are you doing, Baz? Hello, guys. You're right, mate, and uh, nice to meet you, Russ. Good. That's all very convivial. Very British. Well, it is, isn't it, really? I mean, pretty soon we'll be saying, like, you know, freeze creep and, uh, you know... We yeah. stick him in the ISO cubes. <laughs> that, that won't take very long, but let's let's be all nice and British about it at the start. Maybe we should just do the entire podcast in the voice of a sort of televised Judge Dredd. Someone could be Stallone. Someone could be yes. Carl Urban. Um, I'll be Urban. <laughs> <laughs> who, who gets to be Stallone? That's the end. <laughs> you touched it last. <laughs> I'm going to be Sir Judge Anderson. Oh no! Don't do that to my brain. Oh god. <laughs> so we've got Russ on because. Imminently, or maybe actually by the time the podcast goes out, uh, the Judge Dread and the Worlds of 2000 AD role-playing game is about to hit Kickstarter and the world indeed. So, Russ, can you give us your elevator pitch for what this is all about? Uh, what, am I explaining what Judge Dread is? Or... Well, that's a good point. Isn't yeah, it? That is yeah a really actually. Point. Yeah. I, I mean, I know, so I don't thought of that. But yeah, go on then. Okay. Well, let's start. 2000 AD is, um, as, as you know, a, a sort of British anthology comic dating back to the 1970s. Um, it contains dozens and dozens of different characters, storylines and settings, of which the most famous is probably Judge Dredd, uh, who's been immortalised on screen twice, but that's not what we're doing. We're talking about the comic here, which is mm-hmm. slightly different to what you've seen on screen. So Judge Dredd is a, a lawman in a, in a, a dystopian uh, future city called Mega City One. Which is a sort of big, sort of you know, Blade Runner esque um, cityscape, which runs down the whole of the um, American Eastern Seaboard, and has something like I don't know, eighty million, eight hundred million inhabitants, something, something insane. Employment rate, something like eighty-five percent. Crime is rampant, and the people who keep law and order are the judges. And they're like judge, jury, and executioner, right? Yeah, I mean, they don't execute people all that much. They tend to just lock them away in ISO cubes, but. Executioner sounds, you know, catchier, doesn't it? <laughs> it does a little bit. But yeah, it's, I mean, now this is something that, that certainly Baz and I remember from, from when we were young, reading through these comics. Um, and there have been a couple of previous attempts, haven't they, quite recently at uh, a convention in Birmingham. I played the original sort of Games Workshop version of this. Yeah, I had that, yeah. Yeah, it felt great being back in the world of 2000 AD again and this kind of like uh, sort of dystopian future and being a lawman. 
but the system did creak a little bit. Yeah, it's a long time ago. I mean, I I, I played that when I was well, it must have been thirteen or fourteen, I guess. Mm. I mean, it has no slides to the game designers or writers back then, but we are sort of like thirty-five years later now or something. So we expect things to move on a little bit. You're just trying to make me feel old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I do. So I'm trying to make other people feel old as well. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I did. Uh, I did mention to a couple of people. We have tried playing it with Savage Worlds, for example, as a system. But yeah, um, in this new game, you've kind of baked in the the Wawin system. If you pronounce that Wayne, correctly, like coin, Wayne. Oh, there you go. So, so what, tell us a little bit more about that. It's uh, a bunch of D sixes, right? Yeah, D six dice pool systems. So, uh, the basic system is when you uh, when you attempt a task and the uh, outcome of it is in doubt, you put out your trusty D sixes, and you have a, a number of dice which you can throw according to your attributes, which are strength, agility, endurance, intuition, all that sort of stuff. And you have a bunch of skills which also have a number of dice pools. Uh, so you combine a uh, you combine an attribute with a skill. So say you've got I don't know three uh, d six in agility and two d six in pistols. You'd roll five d six in order to try and shoot a perp. And the idea is to beat that perp's defense score. So it's nice gotcha. and simple. Like you know, once once you've done it once, yeah, you you know exactly how to play the game. And the beauty of it is it you can um, it's flexible. You can combine any skill with any attribute. So you can come up with some really sort of wacky combinations which might make sense in different situations, like intuition and engineering or something, or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Whatever you can think of, yeah. So you can mix some kind of intellect-type skill with guns to do some kind of ballistics analysis or something like as that. As long as you can justify it to the GM, basically. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So one of the cool bits I liked, because we've been lucky enough to get um, our hands on some preview copies to have a look at what this is all about, is um, the style throughout the book's very cartoonish or graphic novel, as you would expect, because that's the source material, mm-hmm. uh, with all the Carlos Escarra art and that kind of stuff. And a cool thing I've, I saw, actually, which I'm now wondering why more places haven't done it, but I guess it's because you have access to a lot of artwork, is the example of play and some other examples actually use cartoon panels to describe oh, what's yeah, happening. yeah. And show the characters... As you know, actual characters on the on the sheet as well. When you look at them, I think that's a really you know what, clever I was, idea. I, I was because originally that sort of that panel was essentially just a, a script. You know, like in most books, you just get a mm-hmm. sort of script and you say GM says yeah. this and then things. Um, so um, we handed that over to our layout designer, who's a, a guy called Nimrod Jones, nice Welsh guy. He's very very good at what he does, and he came back with that, and I was like, wow, I I don't know how you did that. And that's that's. That's sorcery of some kind. That's... But yeah, so you've got you've got these like double page spreads, which are an actual comic strip, um, sort of showing examples of play or examples of an engineering task, or uh, there's one for character generation in there too, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that really brings it alive. As you say, there's uh, countless games where I have like Mandy does this and the GM says that, and then Dave does this other thing, and it just reads. Uh, you know, it's just so dull to read. It's like looking at a script. I mean, you you have to include those things in there just because there are people there that haven't played a, an RPG before. So you know, they're kind of absolutely mandatory content. I mean, they're not yeah, that yeah, much fun to write either. To be honest, when you when you write role playing games, you <laughs> no. have to write all that big intro. What is a role playing game? A role playing game is a game where you know. <laughs> absolutely, but as I'm saying, I think that the the artwork and combine the way the layout's been done and stuff actually bring it to life. 
you know, mm. that I actually genuinely enjoyed reading those bits that, this time, rather than normally when I see that script format, I just skip over it because I'm aware of what it is. Yeah. But seeing it well, brought to life the whole, with the, the whole book to look like a comic book, you know, you've used kind of like comic book yeah. fonts and colours all the way through, and it, you know, it feels like it's part of the uh, sort of 2000 AD family. Definitely, yeah, yeah, I agree. And you've you've sort of mentioned in the front of the book as well. There's the the worlds of 2000 AD, which is kind of like a subtitle for the book. So. You kind of touch on. We've mentioned Judge Dredd initially, but there's all mm. kinds of the stuff that was in the old comics that could then come out in future worlds, perhaps. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, so the idea is uh, this is this is the core rule book for the entire line of all the different 2000 AD worlds and settings and characters. So this is the core rule book for Judge Dredd. This is also the core rule book for Slain. This is the core rule book for uh, Rogue Trooper. You know, uh, Nemesis the Warlock, all these different things. This book focuses on Dread just because people have heard of Dread. He's a, he's, a, he's the drawing to the sort of worlds of 2080. And then all these different worlds and settings will be sort of source books, which you'll require this core rule book. So, you know, we won't be repeating the core rules over and over again in different books. Right. There'll gotcha. be setting books for that book. Did that make sense? I felt I rambled there. No, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I think it's a, re- it's a really nice. I think it's a really nice introduction. If it was the 2000 AD role-playing game, it would probably not do great service to any of the fantastic properties. Yeah. Here. And, and 2000 AD has been telling stories for 40 years, so it's not running out of things to say, is it? And it needs it needs a decent treatment. Well, when we first started this, we, we kind of went round and round on how to approach it like that. I mean, originally, one of the first initial sort of concepts was to literally try and, you know, put a whole load of different worlds in that core rulebook. And then we just mm. quickly realised that wasn't practical because, we'd, you know, as you say, we'd be doing a disservice to every single one of them. So we thought, right, pick the most popular one, put it in the core rule book, and then all the others, they can have a book each going yeah. on. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, how did the project come about then? What was the genesis of all of this? Well, um, so the What's Old is new game system has been about uh, sort of two or three years now. Um, mm. I, uh, I designed that system myself, and that's sort of a, a more of a generic sort of a, a system which covers uh, sci-fi, modern age and um, fantasy. But what I really wanted to do was get a really sort of great license for the game. And one of my sort of favourite comic strips going back to when I was a teen, my brother introduced me to uh, 2000 AD and Judge Dredd in particular has always been a favourite of mine. I mean, I even went to see this Stallone film. That's how much, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how much I like Judge Dredd. Um, uh, uh, and fortunately, uh, the business manager of EN Publishing, uh, Angus A. Branson, um, knows the guys at Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he put us in touch. We went up to Oxford, sat down, had a meeting with him and said, look, this is what we're going to do. 2000 AD is amazing. 2000 AD has got all these different worlds and settings, all these different genres we can do. It's got sci-fi, it's got fantasy, it's got horror, it's got dystopian stuff, it's got comedic stuff. It's got so many different, so much to it. You know, we could keep on, you know, writing books based in 2018 for the rest of our lives and never run out, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so we presented our pitch to them and said, this is what we want to do. And they were just so supportive straight away. They were like, you know, that sounds fantastic. You know, absolutely, you can do that. And uh, they've been really super, super supportive ever since. I mean, it's been like two years bringing this book to life. And they've been, mm-hmm. you know, they've been there supplying us with art, you know, double checking stuff approving things all this sort of stuff all the way through you know they've been great to work with that's unusual isn't it in in the world of licensing that i've heard so many horror stories about how, how things get have to go through approval hell 
uh, or get the rug pulled out from underneath your feet. You know, it's a necessary evil of licensing. It's always going to happen. I know some companies are a little, you know, easier to deal with than others, maybe. Rebellion, I'm pleased to say, is super easy to deal with. I know I've dealt with companies that aren't as easy to deal with. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm just really glad that we got so lucky with this one. Cool. So, and and what was it? What was it feel like then when Rebellion say, "Yeah, yeah let's go for it." Did they then? All, all I can imagine is that the postman. This is how old I am. The postman <laughs> rocks up one day with a great big <laughs> list, big big box full of back issues of 2008, and makes <laughs> discs with Brian Bolland art on it, and says, "Knock yourself out." Yeah, now it's all digital these days. <laughs> So yeah, they did. They did. They did you give open us an email. Anything. How glamorous! Yeah, they, they, they basically gave us an unlimited account on their. Um, they've got their app with all the um, all the comics on. They just gave us an unlimited so, account. <laughs> That's what they call a distraction from actually writing yeah. the game. Then yeah, 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 exactly. And so what we have to do, we sort of go through those comics, and you know when we want because one of the beauties of a license system, obviously, is uh, you get to use all their fantastic art, and they've got mm. forty years of amazing art. So we're going through these comics and say, right, in this book, we want this piece of art. So you send off an email to them and say, can you send us the original of this art without the word balloons, without any of the trade, you know, just the original yeah. piece of art. And, you know, they send it over and, wow, you know, there you go. So, I mean, I, I'm surprised about how easy this has gone because I don't, you know, like you, I've heard horror, horror stories. Yeah, well, that's all good stuff. So one of the things I'm curious about, certainly from the, the sort of dread angle is, as I mentioned, Baz and myself and, and you probably as well, mm. like a, a big sort of dread fans from back in the day but quite a lot of the stuff seems to be British humour uh, things like the Brian you know the Brian Cant block is a guy from Play Away I remember from my childhood but how does that go over with, with like an American audience do you think because the, the RPG market's largely yes, American right absolutely and so how do you think they get on with a, a license like 2000 AD does that I guess we'll find out next week won't we because <laughs> 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 I am hoping fervently hoping that the American audience engages with it I know there are American 2080 fans but I know that most 2080 fans are British um, yeah. but I know there are people out there and also there's going to be people out there just willing to try a new awesome looking RPG yes with a bit of luck yeah yeah I, don't, yeah, I think yeah, I think, I think so. the sort of uh, Carl Urban film has boosted its profile a little over there it's got a bit of a cult following now I think so, and there's a TV series in the offing. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's some good timing, isn't it? And the old uh, was it Rogue Trooper, the movie they've uh, recently announced. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you bought a lottery ticket recently? <laughs> 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 it, quite nicely. it is quite convenient. <laughs> yeah, which yeah, which which book should we release in about a year's time? Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's popped up in the queue. Yeah, nice. To be fair, that was always going to be high in the list. I think I think it is, isn't it? Because like you know, one of the fun things you can do with 2000 AD is you can play top fives, can't you? Which yeah, know, people like to do, especially when they're gamers. And um, and and you know, what, what would be in there for you, Russ? Outside of Dread, which is your number one, that would take that as Red. What were your personal favourites from from your reading of 2000 AD? Uh, the world. I'm quite a fan of Absalom. All right. Um, now that I, one's passed me by because that's for you, that's for the younguns. I'm I'm actually quite new to Absalom. Um, I okay. literally discovered Absalom in the last sort of year or two while working on this book and just like looking through the various mm-hmm. properties and stuff. And I, I sort of saw the description of it and thought, not, not familiar with that one. Let's have a look. And it's it's awesome. It's like uh, it's like 21st century London. 
and there's uh, it's set it's set in um, Britain, and there's this accord between like the crown, the British crown, and hell. And uh, uh, Ab- Absalom is sort of like a special team. Like uh, their their job is to sort of keep this accord intact. Hmm. But it's an awesome kind of dark thing. Other ones I like. I like uh, Ace Trucking. Oh yeah, yeah. which yeah, I like that. Yeah, uh, which I think would make an awesome RPG in a sort of you know kind of slightly more light-hearted, more sort of action-packed kind of. Yeah, I'm just like looking through the list here. Which one, which ones jump out at me? Uh, Necronauts is always a good one. Okay. See, I think I'm, I think I'm sort of uh, showing a trend here, aren't I? Absalom, Necronauts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what I really want to do with with the series is to sort of try and hit as many different genres as possible, rather than just sort of focus okay. on all the sci-fi or focus on all the sort of horror or something like that. So I think what I'd be inclined to do is pick five, one from each different genre. So you'd probably yeah. have so Slain's going to get a shoe in dystopian yeah. future, and then you might have Slain for your fantasy. Then yeah. you might have I don't know Necronauts for your sort of horror type thing. Um, yeah. I was um, I was really really fascinated just looking through the list, and you've got Halo Jones in there, which is I mean I was about to say two thousand years full of gameable content, but Halo Jones is going to be a tough gig. Yeah, I'm, I'm, again that's another one I'm not super personally super familiar with. I know one of the writers that we've got on staff is, but I'm I'm not super familiar with that one. But I'll be interested to see what they come out with for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's a classic, and and rightly so. Uh, but it's it's almost like an anti comic strip. Yeah, I mean, days. you know, we're not we're not going to end up doing every single one because so, I think we'll try some of them and they just won't work. Yeah, you know, we'll give sure, them a stab sure, sure. and we we'll think, yeah, this just isn't this just isn't right for an RPG. But, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, are, are there any that you're sort of hoping to see? Uh, mine are the obvious ones. I think uh, your Rogue Trooper, yeah. Slain. Nemesis is is always going to be a bit of a fan fave. Um, uh, it's interesting how many I, people have approached me asking to write Nemesis. Oh, I can imagine. Really? It's, it's, well, it, every time someone comes dream. to me and says, oh, have you got any freelance contracts going? I want to work on the 2000 AD RPG. I want to write Nemesis. It's, what, you too? Yeah. All right. <laughs> 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 but I, I, if it was down to me, I wouldn't write for Nemesis. I find, I, I find Nemesis would be a bit tricky to write gameable content for, right. as opposed to, for example, Strontium Dog, right. which is just made out of missions. It's made out of game. Sure, uh, and yeah. if not that Robo Hunter, you know, Robo Hunter is is a that's a, a scenario basically yeah. with a title on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean Robo Hunter. I know the um, Andy Peregrine who wrote the uh, Robot Wars for us, which uh, mm. I was so happy. Um, I'll stop it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he 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 asked he asked us if he could do Robo uh, Robo Hunter, which um, I think he's keen on doing that one. Yeah. So I think you can probably stuff. bank on seeing that. Unsurprisingly, I mean the the um, Slain is obviously my not obviously obviously to me because I'm, I know it's my favourite. It will now be obviously everybody else, but that's my favourite too. So that's something I'm looking forward to because there was there was a D20 stab at it at one point, point in yeah. did, which was yeah. fine. I mean, we, but it we was, don't want to just like copy. Yeah, like there's some good stuff yeah, in we there. We don't but... want to do exactly what Mongoose did though. I mean Mongoose did just dread, then it did they did Slain, didn't they? What else did they do? Strontium Dog, I it think. Strontium Dog, did they? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we, I very, very deliberately avoided looking at what they've been, what they did, just to, so I don't end up, you know, subconsciously copying them. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my favourite nemesis stories, um, a new girl I just met, Emma, is a friend of a friend, met her at, uh, uh, well, not actually Comic-Con, but that was not the same time as yeah. Games Expo, and, and her thing is that she goes and gets artists to draw things, but it's always Nemesis the Warlock. And, like, the, this artist will be sat there going... 
you realise I didn't draw him, right? <laughs> She's like, yeah, no, I just want you to draw him. <laughs> and she makes every artist for whatever they're from, whatever graphic novel, film, whatever it is that makes them draw Nemesis. <laughs> um, and they all turn out really well. Like The artist goes like, oh, that's cool. I've never tried to draw him before. Fair that enough, amazing. Fair enough. So, there's, diff- there's a bit of a cult following out there secretly. Yeah, I think that's them. probably true. But, you know, we're going to find out next week just how much of a cult following all of this is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect you'll be fine. I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, well, we, I hope so. I yeah, do hope yeah. so. I, I, I think. What's what's the story behind uh, the, the the method you've chosen for this? Then is you go in with Kickstarter. That's not particularly unusual. But mm-hmm. you have just before we came on air, you have physically got a copy of the book in your hand. Mm. For some Kickstarters, that is unusual. So what's what's the thinking behind this then? To have a product ready to go. So we've done this several times now. This is basically how we run Kickstarters. So, Hmm. what I hate about Kickstarters, and I know what everybody hates about Kickstarters, is you back a Kickstarter, and a year later you're going, oh, where's my book? And the the developer's going, oh, soon, I'll have an update for you next month. And, you know, it drags on and on and on, and three years (laughs) later you still haven't got your product. You know, all that, all that, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. So, all of our Kickstarters for the last few years, we've, we've had this model. So, instead of the customer taking the risk, we'll take it. So we make the book in advance. Uh, we get our own proof copies. We make sure it's all done, development's done, everything's done. And then all we're doing with the Kickstarter is funding the print run. So what happens is the Kickstarter ends, the fund's clear, we send a check to the printer, done. That's hmm. all that has to happen. Uh, it means everyone knows they're getting their rewards fulfilled immediately. Hmm. That's great, yeah. And we were talking to Patrick Stewart last last week, and he was saying some of the mm. biggest blockers uh, can be things like getting the art done. Well, you've just got like forty years worth of yeah, art. Well, that helps. Anyway, so yeah, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. You've, <laughs> yeah, you've got a good layout guy, and then you've got all your writing done in advance. So really, it's like this, there's no reason not to back it now, right? Because you could, you know you've got everything that's there guaranteed. and ready to go. So. It's, it's, it's as close to guaranteed as a Kickstarter can possibly be. And that's worked out really well for us for the last few Kickstarters. And I'm hoping that we've managed to develop a bit of a reputation for quick returns on Kickstarters. I mean, the last one we did was um, one called Xenomorphs, which was a sort of Aliens-esque um, adventure source book for the What's On His New Game. And we fulfilled that, I think, it was within two months of the Kickstarter ending. Wow. And that two months yeah, was just yeah. waiting for people to give us their addresses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did any of them complain about the delay and you had to go back to them and go, well, tell us where you live first. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I still get occasionally, because you know when a Kickstarter ends, um, you send out the um, survey things to get people's addresses, yeah, yeah. because you know you don't have their addresses otherwise, yeah. Kickstarter doesn't tell you, it's up to them to tell you. Um, I still get them occasionally trickle in from a Kickstarter I did, I think, about five years ago. And occasionally it'll just trickle in, sort of someone's just answered your survey. Really? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> it's like, people yeah, forget. Okay. They, but you know, people are so used to Kickstarters overrunning—not in your case, but they're so used to it that I think people forget they paid for these things, don't they? I, I have done stuff arrives yeah. through the post. I tell the missus every single time that it's, it was paid for years ago. Love, I'm not. This doesn't come out yeah. this month. It's <laughs> like it's like you bought yourself a present. Past you, you bought yourself a present, and then suddenly yeah. it arrives. You feel like it's it, just yeah. there in the post. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well done, young me. Yeah. <laughs> so, what does that mean for your stretch goals, though, Russ? So, it means we don't. You do know, them. obviously they're they're contingent. I would imagine. Yeah. So we we don't really do them. Uh, we, <laughs> That's handy. So we do we do we do have some, but none of them are things that we ha- we can't deliver immediately. 
So there's not going to be a stretch goal that suddenly says, oh, we'll add 40 pages of art to the book, because that would hold up the book. You know, the book, as you can see, mm-hmm. is in my hand. It's here. It's done. It's not changing. Yep. Um, so any stretch goals we have, and we've only got a couple, uh, basic, simple things. One's like a online character builder, which we can deliver straight yep. away. Uh, one of them is a, a live-streamed show, which we've got mm-hmm. a crew ready to, you know, just waiting for the go-ahead. They're chomping at the bit. Just hoping that we raise enough money that we can just like pay them and off we go. Uh, and uh, other things like just a sort of sets of um, pre-generated characters and stuff like that, but nothing that we can't deliver immediately. Cool, cool. That's all really good. So, um, just to swing back to the book a little bit, because um, I've, I've had another flick through while I've been talking. Uh, one of the things I liked about it, which is probably different than the older sort of Judge Dread games, is that you actually put a bit of stuff in there for playing either perps or civilians as well as judges as well was that like um is that just because this is like the core rule book and you wanted to shove like civility straight away or did you kind of think do you know what maybe people just don't want to play judges they want to explore the world but don't want to yeah, have to be are, i think yeah i i think for some people not for every group but for some groups playing judges can be limiting uh certainly i've 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 yeah. found sort of whenever i've sort of seen a judge drag game in a previous sort of edition you know, sort of like the Games Workshop game back when I was a teenager and stuff. Uh, yeah, the, ju- the judge campaigns do seem very limiting and they don't seem super, super, super suited to a long campaign, though I hope we're going to change that with, the, with some of the long adventures we've got. Um, whereas mm. Mega City 1 has, what, 800 million people, crime is rampant, unemployment is, whatever it is, 85% or something. You could go, you know, a year without seeing a judge. There's plenty going on. There's plenty of stories to happen. You could be, I don't know, you could be a, a criminal gang trying to uh, run a heist or fight uh, uh, an opposing gang or something like that, just hoping that a judge doesn't come around the corner. Or you could be a civilian group trying to defend your block against um, the robots in the robot wars or something like that, while all the judges, are all, they're all busy, you know, out on the front lines in the mm. robot wars, you know, fighting Call Me Kenneth and all that sort of stuff. Um, so there's so many stories and so many different characters that you can play. And judges are just one tiny set of all the different characters you could play in a city like Mega City 1. I like the idea of being citizens or a gang or whatever, or mm. turning into perps, and uh, the judges are more played like the Terminator or something. Like one turns up on the block and all of a sudden it's exactly, like a yeah, massive yeah. thing because yeah, the yeah. judge has turned up and all of a sudden the whole dynamic of the block changes because exactly. there's a judge here. Oh my yeah. God. And, and also that, that gives you opportunity to play apes. It gives you opportunity to play sort of mutants, uh, robots, all this sort of stuff. It's a much, much wider variety of characters you can play. And on the other hand, if you do want to play judges, one of my concerns before I cracked open the book was that when I've played Judge Dredd previously mm. under other iterations, it's been quite difficult for me to differentiate the judges in the party. Yes. Because they all they all look the Absolutely. same, clearly. And they literally look the same. Yeah. And they're kind of a little bit like having a party of paladins in D&D. It looks yeah, good yeah, on yeah, paper, yeah. but actually it's a bit of a pain. But I think I think you've done a cracking job in... There's an awful lot of different types of judging there. Mechanically, that's before you put your role-playing skin onto it and you make it your own character. You could have a, you could definitely have four or five judges, none of them the same. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I mean, that's, we've got we've got a few, a couple of dozen at least, I should think, in there. So you've got your yeah. basic street tech, um, psi and med judges. And then you've got your sort of Holocaust judges and your body squad and your, you know, all sorts of different. We've even got desk judges in there. 
which I'm not sure how popular uh, a, a, a career that will be, but you know, you know, we've got all different types of judges in there, and you can, yeah, I agree. You can, you can make a very, very party just out of judges. Yeah. So one of the things I liked in the book as well is you've got um, a tech speak sort of like generator, like a techno bubble chart that you can roll on. I mean, one of the things I was thinking when Baz mentioned then you can't differentiate judges, it's like you can't apart from the side judge and the tech judge in the old world. But the tech judge like needed something to do. So just having like a, a chart to roll on to come up with, I'll uh, change the phasing of the whatever and you start to come yeah. up with Babel. Really, that's yeah. the flavour of a game, right? It's just a cool thing to have if you are the tech judge. Been enough of techno babble ever since Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. their ability to just come out with these sentences which I'm sure mean absolutely nothing and I hope nobody yeah. tries to unpick you know, <laughs> any of this tech speak because really it means nothing but it sounds good so how important do you think it is for people to be able to to know the world or do you think this game is going to be accessible enough that if you don't really know what Judge Dread is or something you can pick it up and just get into it do you feel like it's it's got a different level of accessibility than just like a, a dry book that's or someone's homebrew world for example that doesn't have the weight of art and history and, yeah. and stuff behind I mean, it I think, do you feel like because it's a property it gives you an extra in think about other sort of um, licensed games like Star Wars uh, Star Trek and uh, there's Doctor Who one and there's a Lord of the Rings one so this this is a a problem not not um, particular to this particular game it's a, it's, a, it's a common one I think yeah I think this Sort of set, uh, certainly Mega City One is conceptually simple enough that you can sort of uh, communicate it very very quickly to a to a new player who's never heard of Just Red. Uh, a city, a dystopian future, eight hundred million inhabitants, lawlessness is rife, and you are a, a a judge who is able to patrol the streets and you know uh, judge, jury, and as you say, executioner. Any uh, lawbreakers that you see, yeah. Um, I, I don't know you need to say much more than that I, th- I mean think being be able to play perps or civilians probably helps with the, the routine doesn't it because if you uh, the thing I found when they've tried to run the old game like you say okay you're all judges these are the powers yeah. you've got whatever like two things tend to happen either people freeze and don't know what to do so they wait to find out mm. what's going to happen or they start looking at the um, the length of crimes or the, the length of punishment for crimes oh, and yeah. start to immediately yeah. like, take as many off the list as they can and they see someone jaywalking, and before you know it, they've got thirty years wrapped up in the ice hockey cubes. Just because that's like you know, it's like playing bingo <laughs> on a sheet of crime. They're trying to get as many as they can. I'll tell you what, I've always noticed about those because because the sort of like sentencing is always. I suppose it's one of the sort of go-to things that you do when you're uh, when you're playing a judge. Uh, players are always like paging straight to the sentences, and they're handing them out in game yeah. and stuff. I always find yeah. that tends to slow the game down a bit. Because what happens is they'll arrest yeah, someone. Oh, mm. what, what's the sentence for burglary? Then they'll grab the book and page through and stuff like that. And it kind of like interrupts the game a little bit, I've always found. Um, so what we've done, we've got on, on the GM screen, we've decided on the players facing side of the GM screen, we're going to put the sentences there. So any player that needs to quickly look up <laughs> what, you know, what the typical sentence for jaywalking or burglary or you know, murder of a judge or whatever is, it's right there, right in front of them. No paging of any books, none of that crap. So hopefully that will speed things up a bit. Oh, that's an interesting idea because, yeah, most GMs yeah. just have a nice picture on the front. That's quite a rare thing. To... Got a nice picture on the back. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a good idea. <laughs> All the GM yeah. sees is Judge Dredd's face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing yeah. in there. Yeah, no, I just thought put, put useful information from play- for players on the player's side. Why not? That's quite clever. Oh, thank you. So campaign-wise then, do you... Um, Playing wise, um, 
what's it like to play genuinely um what's it like to gm what's it like to be a player how's it feel uh, i've been running the robot wars on thursday nights for the last the last two or three months now so we've gone through the entire adventure now and uh, we did both we did the um the judge one and um you've seen the book haven't you yes yes so so everything's set up that you can approach it from any vector you want you can do an adventure as a citizen as a perp or as a yeah. judge that's in the stuff in the in the main book as well isn't it in the yeah. um, in the scenario you've got there so it's three on ramps isn't it yeah um so uh yeah so we've just gone through that and it it went like it went like a dream it went really really smooth i mean I, admittedly i'm very familiar with the system because it uses the what soldiers new system which <laughs> i devised like three or four years ago so i'm super familiar with it so that certainly helps but um yeah it went like a dream i mean the system's fast it's flexible um but it's crunchy enough that you can play around behind the scenes with the nuts and bolts with the sort of character creation side of it and customize mm. your character if that's the sort of side of role playing that you like and if you don't then you don't have to do that you can just like quickly jump in with a pre-generated character or something like that um yeah we found it's yeah it works great now, it's it's not what you'd call a story game, is it? I was kind of heartened and delighted that you wear your heart on your sleeve in the rules. Mm. And it says, like, when you're having fights in this game, it's going to be quite tactical, actually. Theatre of the Mind is an option, but I think that your default is cover, diving through doors, yeah. positioning, grid maps. Um, and it's not afraid to say that. Yeah. So, you know, you know what you're getting, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the combat system's kind of a tactical skirmish system, isn't it? So your position matters, mm. cover matters, crossfires matter, and all this sort of stuff. And you can dispense with all that sort of stuff. If you do prefer the storytelling stuff, yeah, just dispense with it all and just, you know, move swiftly on. But if you do like that sort of tactical skirmishy stuff, I think you could pretty much take the combat chapter out of that book and just play it as a tactical skirmish game if you wanted to. So I think that's it's quite important to have something like uh, that tactical element to it if you're going to have a game like 2000 AD or the worlds because thing, even things like Deadlands which is supernatural and cowboys and stuff like that can very quickly turn into just a gunfight where you go mm. I shoot him he shoots me and and becomes very dull as a combat so if you're using lots of range stuff i.e. you've got mm. guns lawgivers whatever I think it helps to have some other mechanical crunch around there to make it interesting because otherwise trying to narrate how you shoot someone in the face yeah. gets like yeah. really and one of the really fun quickly. things we did we we first um, first play tested the system. It was, oh, this would have been April last year, so that would have been twenty seventeen. And we went to this caravan in the um, in the New Forest. There were four of us, and uh, we spent an entire weekend play testing basically the system. And one of the things that we were trying to get right was the lawgiver, because that was quite a tough one. Because you got your different types yeah. of ammo. And we didn't want it so that people would just go, well, clearly high X is the best. I'm just going to use that all the time. Um, we, we were trying to sort of balance out the different things so that you're going to use different types of ammo at different times because they have their strengths and advantages and their weaknesses and stuff like that. And I think, I really think we, we nailed it. Um, I found that on my Robot Wars game, people are switching ammo all the time for different situations. It's fantastic. Well, you, you have to say it out loud for a start, don't you? So, you know, that's... that's oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, no, I mean, well, I mean, you've done well, mate, because nothing says Mega City like a caravan in the <laughs> So, you know... <laughs> That seeped into the writing right there. Yeah, just imagine that. Four middle-aged men in a caravan in a new forest for two days. <laughs> Anyone got a can of leaves? We just sound post-apocalyptic. <laughs> Plenty of pizza, that's what I can say. 
What's your What's your favourite part of the book? You've got it in your hands now. You're looking back on it. You know you've been living with it for mm. a couple of years or longer in your head. What's What's your favourite book? What's the first page people should turn to? You can't say all of it. That's weak. Well, you know, that's like um, asking which is your favourite child, isn't it? It's, oh. Ooh. Yes, but those of us with children have an answer to that. We just don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Danny, if you're listening. It's not you. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> the first thing I look at is the character sheet, if that helps. The very first thing I ever look at in any book is the character okay, sheet. So and it passes the cool character sheet you test like that, one, do you? that makes me want to go backwards. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, I like the character sheet. sheet. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look. The index is awesome. I do like the index. Uh, <laughs> I, I, tell you what I do like is uh, if, you, if you head to the um, back of the book, um, there's a, a doubles page spread, which is one is the law master and one is the lawgiver. Yes, um, yes. So these are designed and they're going to be on the website as player handouts as well. And the idea is yeah. that you, your player is going to have these every, all the rules you need for your law master and all the rules you need for your lawgiver just there on one page in front of you. And I really like those two pages. Yeah. And I think they look gorgeous as well. Yeah. I think I think one of the things that's coming through as a challenge here is that you really want this book to be usable, right? Like, and to look good and to, you know, I, I, can, I can definitely feel the love on this product, if yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I came through. I mean, the other thing we wanted to feel like is a book that you can have in your coffee table and just, you know, pick up and browse through. And I think there's stuff mm. in there, even if you're not a big gamer... I think there's enough stuff in there that you could pick this book up and you could still sort of read about the history of Mega City 1 and all the different locations and all this sort of stuff. And you could still get a kick out of reading this book, even if, you know, RPGs aren't your thing. At least that's one of the goals we went for. So I hope, I certainly hope we succeeded in doing that. Yeah. I mean, how long did it take you to come up with the cover image? Because you were sport for choice, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think the uh, standard edition quite early. The special edition, I think we went through oh God, dozens of choices. Um, yeah. Do you remember? I mean, I know, I know Mongoose did one with a metal cover, didn't they? Yes, they did. You're right. Yeah, mm, yeah, with a like, hinged yeah. kind of spine yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we went through, I think we must have been through loads of different choices. We went for this sort of really plain black thing. As, I mean, you've seen it before, haven't you? But uh, this plain black thing yes. with uh, just this sort of barely visible dark red sort of uh, face of dread just sort of like moving in off the left side no text on there on the mm. front at all nothing mm. yeah. on the back just a yeah. just a just a uh, justice shield nothing else and yeah. a barcode yeah. that annoys me but <laughs> <laughs> it kind of spoils the lines <laughs> it does oh, it what are you going to do <laughs> but yeah the other one I think yeah I think we came up with the standard edition one pretty quickly um, I've always loved that piece of art anyway and we wanted to sort of um, imply that it wasn't just um, it wasn't just Mega City 1 which is why we've got these judges sort of driving out into the uh, into the cursed earth on there and we also because it's three different judges we've got a um, person of colour and a woman on there too which we felt was kind of important to be inclusive cool yeah cool yeah good choice yeah, well, I, th I think it's a lovely thing, mate. I mean, you know, th you know, the, the copies you sent out for me and guys to look at, we've been salivating over. This is, this is a really, it's a, it's a lovely thing, and it and it does that thing of simultaneously stroking the nostalgia fur <laughs> on my back uh, because I just want to, I want to run games with fatties and sky surfers yeah. and and chopper and months and just you know, so many words, so much so detail, many, in there, so many good it? little yeah. things. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. But you know, in in a game that's uh, you know unashamedly trad and is going to let me fire bullets at people and and get excited, and I like that sort good, of thing. Good. I mean, we'll get we'll get the hard copies out to you as soon as that print runs ordered. So they're they're, they're cool. going to be they're going to be on their way. Best it funds, I think. You- <laughs> <laughs> so and you've got um we've got uh, you've got some other stuff in the offing as well obviously this is all contingent on how well it all kicks off in the first mm. place but robot wars i believe is ready yep, yep. can you tell got us that about one here. Robot got wars? that in my hands right here lovely book crammed yeah. full of early because this is obviously it was the 1970s um so you can yeah. sort of see here crammed full of sort of early yeah. 1970s sort of just read artwork nice. gorgeous book 100 old pages that one already being worked on and in fact one of them is pretty much done um, is uh, Luna One, which is gonna kind of be. I mean, Luna One wasn't a great arc, if you know what I mean. It was more of a collection of um, sure short stories, yeah. but it's gonna be more of a sort of this is how you would run Just Dread in Space source book with some sort of lunar based uh, adventures within it. Um, so it'll expand on like the Space Core and maybe give you some spaceship rules and stuff like that. I mean, people know how to get need to know how to get to Titan yeah. as well, don't they? To be fair, uh, and then because <laughs> judges are going to get sent there at some point. <laughs> well, the, 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 what we try to do is each each book is an adventure, well, two adventures. There's going to be a judge one and a sort of perhaps civilian one, and it's going to be a source book introducing new rules. So, like the Robot Wars has a whole bunch of expanded rules for robot player characters. Mm, uh, makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the Cursed Earth, which is going to be the one after Luna One, which I've got the manuscript in, is done. Uh, as well as having like a couple of adventures uh, and the adventure is quite a long one um, is going to have you know expanded rules for mutants for example I mean mutants are in the core rule book but you could go you could go so much bigger with that so that's what we've done yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I do like that kind of um, I don't know what to call them composite source book I think uh, Trinity when that came out White Wolf did that had a similar sort of thing that each book came out so you know a little bit of a tour yeah. of the world or the universe as it was and gave you some adventures, and so like you played through things that are happening out there, rather than just being a flat source book saying, "Here's information to digest and get out to your players." It's like here's some adventures to show them all this other stuff, so they actually get to dynamically learn it. Yeah, no, I, th- I think there's a formula that I mean, it certainly works for me. I really, I really like it, and um, I'm certainly hoping other people dig it. Mm, cool. Um, one weird question from left field, perhaps. Mm. We've got uh, Rob Schwab coming up as a guest on the podcast All in, right, okay. in a couple of weeks, actually. And I noticed his name in the writing credits. Mm. Um, and I don't know why I would be surprised by that. But what did what did Rob bring to the to the writing party for this one? What what and what can I ask him about when we speak to him next? Uh, I don't <laughs> think he's seen the final thing yet. But um, yeah, which reminds me, I've really got to get him a copy. <laughs> Uh, he wrote some of the first chapter, um, so I approached him about two years ago because I knew he was a he was a fan, uh, and asked him if he'd be uh, willing to sort of help with help write sort of the introduction and some of the first chapter of the book, and he was on it straight away. Yeah, when when, when his when his manuscript came in, he clearly he knew his subject matter. He knew also he knew the tone as well, which was good. Yes, because otherwise you know you you end up having to sort of rewrite what comes in to suit the actual sort of tone of the because the whole book's kind of written in the tone of um, 2000 AD mm. Mm. yeah I think that's important for this kind of licensed product but what's coming through as well is that everybody who works on it seems to really up for it as well like they're really keen and, and love what they're doing and you know you just talk about manuscript after manuscript that's coming in it's like people obviously like are itching to write for this sort of stuff Darren Pierce, who was uh, I think he's probably the person who did the most writing on this uh, when we went to him a couple of years ago 
and we we sort of like contacted them and we said look you know got this licensed product to work on um, want to know if you're interested in it I uh, can't quite tell you what it is right now but I know that you're interested in it uh, because he is such a big <laughs> big big fan and when he found out it was um, it was 2000 AD he you know he, he squealed you know he <laughs> honestly the man exploded like literally I'm still wiping it off it was um, it was insane I mean he threw himself into this project like nothing he's an expert on the law he's uh he's an enthusiastic writer he's so excited to be involved with this and uh, hopefully will be for years to come it's it's just been really great to work with people who just like really really it is a job but a, it's more than a job to them it's a, it's a dream come true it's something they've dreamt on working yeah. on since they were a kid and now they're sort of writing mm. a you know just read tabletop role-playing game yeah if someone says to me, "Can you stat out a lawmaster?" you say, yeah, "Give me." <laughs> you just do right. <laughs> yeah. You pull out your manuscripts of the already statted out lawmasters. <laughs> this is what I've been doing in my spare time. Yeah, when I was at Expo, another thing I noticed was um, there's some cosplay people mm. around all the rest of it, and and two that were getting the most attention was two judges. So I, th- I don't think you've got anything to worry about about this, although. I don't think the fans are necessarily as vocal on social media as perhaps for some other products. Um, just those two guys dressed as judges at Expo were getting the photo taken constantly really? all day. It was like, there's just this, it's almost like it's, I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure or what, but it's, it, there's definitely a lot of love for the product out there, or the, the, the IP certainly, but people just don't seem to shout about it as much. I don't know what I it think, is. I think there is. I think there is, yeah. It's, like you say, there's, there's, there's those Facebook groups out there and there's, and there's forums and there's, uh, there's sort of Google Plus groups and stuff like that. Um, I don't think there's one sort of massive place where they congregate. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Sure. Mm, that could be it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really quite a challenge to get the word out, actually. Even now, I'm sort of, um, you know, you see online people surprised to hear about it when I think I've been yelling at the top of my voice about it for the last six months and it's like, screaming how, it, yeah. how have you not heard me oh my god how is this possible but you know, know okay right? <laughs> that's the nature of the internet I guess it, it never it ceases to amaze me how, how things happen like this and people don't know people who I think are I mean I like to think I'm reasonably connected to the gaming hobby genuinely ear to the ground all of that kind mm. of stuff stuff passes me by I have no yeah. idea I genuinely haven't got a clue and it's like when did that happen yeah people start talking about the fourth edition of stuff and I didn't even notice the second I suppose my main job is I I run a tabletop um, RPG news website and most Mm. of the time I think I'm pretty much on top of what's going on but sometimes things can just like hit me completely out of left field and it'll be something that's been around for like nine months and people have been talking about for nine months and somehow I've not noticed how how is that even yeah. possible no I, I th- well i think fandom does tend to atomize a little bit as well you know and you do you if you are a fan of pathfinder you could quite happily just listen to nothing but pathfinder news for your whole life and I you tend to stretch true. a bit to yeah. hear other stuff yeah yeah so and that, that's fine but it, it can be an echo chamber and um so you know but but dread will seep out there he will find a way probably coming through the window <laughs> imagine well, I think I think Kickstarter is a big blessing because Kickstarter is not just a great yes. um, fundraising platform; it's a wonderful publicity platform, just just in its own right. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, Kickstarter, give us the date. Then, when's it? When's it all happening? Where do people go to find so out? That more? is Tuesday, the twenty fifth. Which I don't know when this podcast is going out, but that's next week as we talk now. Ooh. 
probably about Tuesday the 20th. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. uh, so that's at 5 p.m. UK time. Um, do you have American listeners? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let me call up. Let me call up the uh, the uh, time translations then. Uh, so that's uh, 10 p.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Central, and 1 p.m. Uh, ET. That's uh, Eastern, isn't it? Eastern. You can go to yeah. Worlds of 2000 ADRPG dot com, and there's a big sort of countdown on there, and there's a trailer. Have you seen the trailer? <laughs> yeah. I love cool. that trailer. Honestly, <laughs> it's had about 14,000 views right now, and I think about 13,000 of them are probably me. <laughs> You. <laughs> I love it. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, so there's a countdown on there, and obviously that countdown will be placed with a link to the Kickstarter as soon as it ends. Unfortunately, Kickstarter doesn't yeah. give you the link in advance, so I can't give you the link now because even I don't know it until I hit that launch button, and then wow. it sort of generates the link for me, which is slightly annoying. But yeah, and then uh, and then you spend a month pressing F five. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> I think I've run Kickstarters before, and you know, I I don't like it. It's such a it's so stressful. It really is so. Str- it's such a roller coaster of emotions. Um, you get these wonderful days, like the launch day in the last few days. There are always these massive heights, and then during the middle, you get these troughs. And it doesn't matter what Kickstarter you're mm. doing, you have them, and they are so depressing. Yeah. And oh, it's just oh, it's so emotionally stressful. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're already funded or anything; you still get depressed. Well, the thing with the Kickstarter, they always have the same pattern. They have this sort of. Uh, if you look at a Kickstarter graph, they always have this sort of U-shaped graph. They have this big, big start, big, big end, and then this big flat bit in the middle. And that flat bit's quite emotionally tough to deal with because stuff is happening. You know, yeah. uh, people are pledging during that period, yeah. but it's not anything like the heights at the beginning and the end. Mm. Mm. Quick starters a thing, though, isn't it? I've I've heard of yeah. Quick um, yeah. So Quick Starter, I I actually think I came up with that. Because I was I was at UK Games Expo about four years ago, five years ago. It was the year that Monty Cook was there. Because um, I interviewed him there at the time, and uh, we were talking about Kickstarter. Because obviously, him and Monty Cook Games are really, really big on Kickstarter. They do a couple sure. of half million dollar Kickstarters a year. They've got it down to a fine art. It's like such a smooth operation. Mm. They know what they're doing. And uh, I was saying that yeah. I I really think if everything happens in the first three or four days. And the last three or four days, and nothing really happens for like the three weeks in the middle. Why don't you just cut out the three weeks and just cram those two periods and just run your Kickstarter for one week? <laughs> and I was thinking, I always think I want to try that sometime, but I don't dare to. I'm too scared to. Just, just in, yeah. because I'm yeah, convinced I'll, 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 it won't work or I'll, I'll lose that big middle period. Um, but yeah, sort of. Yeah, um, we didn't coin the term, but definitely, definitely, I came up with the idea of a really short Kickstarter back then. You you you, can't, you couldn't bring yourself to do it for the reasons you said before about like people will come round to you and go when did that happen mm. you didn't tell me about yeah. it yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah you still you, you get only that. gave me a wink you get that five years later though whatever Kickstarter is you get a message on Kickstarter saying oh hi can I still back your Kickstarter no um, <laughs> no this is four years ago <laughs> but, but you can do what Kickstarter was designed to do and go and buy it in a yes. shop yeah, so, exactly, you know, yeah. that, that still exists exactly, as a way to get that. a book I believe I've heard people do that buy things in shops, shops. buy things yeah yeah hand over <laughs> bits of paper and plastic cards to get them how how, medi- how medieval <laughs> no, it's almost like barter. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we'll be seeing this in shops. I mean, I live in Southampton and there's not an awful lot 
by way of uh, RPGs drop. So I think the best thing is Forbidden Planet, and that's not great. Right. It's got, wow. it's got a yeah. shelf of board yeah. games, and I think it's got a shelf of RPGs, which is some D and D, some Pathfinder, and maybe some Star Wars. Pretty much about it. Sure. Well, that's about it in Southampton, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. real, real shame. Yeah, I think you might have a shop in Winchester somewhere. Might be yeah, there might be one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's one in Brighton. Um, there's probably, I don't know, um, certainly not within any convenient driving distance. Yeah, both our American listeners are now banging their heads off the screen, going, "We drive for eight days." To <laughs> <laughs> well, they say either one of two things. They say, "I don't know what you're talking about." I drive eight days to work every morning, or they say, yeah. "I don't know what you're talking about." I've got seventeen uh, RPG shops within yes. a two-minute walk from me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Too many games. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like people getting hold of information. I don't understand how it works because Baz and I both used to work for a Games Workshop back in the day, and we had Games Day, which was like the biggest thing ever if yeah. you're a Games Workshop fan. Mm. And we'd spend like two months with posters of the shop telling every single kid who bought anything mm. or even looked at the shop all about what Games Day was, when it was, here's a ticket, and you'd still get people on the day of Games Day when you're on a coach on your way down there. Coming into the store, my like my full timer ring me going, "Yeah, someone wants to know if they can get a ticket." It's like, yeah. how did they not know? Like yeah. all we've done for two months is struggle, like shove this in people's that, faces. Entire adult life just trying to get information out there, and somehow people are missing it. It's uh, it's frustrating. But, yeah, you know, yeah. we need we need to invent some kind of electronic medium. I don't know. We could call it the internet or something. That, you think that make it yeah. easier? <laughs> Terrible, you might as well take something, frankly. I insist that we mail each and every person individually. <laughs> oh, I do get some people like, I get actually surprisingly quite a lot of people especially on Facebook they go um, yeah if you message me when the Kickstarter launches I'll, I'll, I'll back it it's like <laughs> you know I, I do appreciate the interest but I can't notify every single person individually that's why we've developed these mass communication tools <laughs> Russ, listen, mate. I mean, I, my heart bleeds, but at least one person will contact us after this podcast drops and ask us to do a transcript. Really? For them. Do you it happens every really? time. Yeah. They don't want to put the, the. Yeah, bless them. I love our listeners and I especially love our patrons. They're the best people who are. They don't ask us to write a <laughs> transcript. But some rando will show up and say, I'm not going to listen to it. Could you just type it up for really? me? Really? Oh, okay. No, we, haven't, we haven't had that on our podcast yet. Yeah. That's, that's to come, is it? <laughs> I'll send one in. Yeah. Luckily, we're, we're, we're still too small and new for that to happen, but you know, we'll see. You should talk about your podcast. Yeah, but you should mention the podcast while you're here. While All we've right, got we can you, do that. What's going on with um, with the impossible to name <laughs> podcast that I won't even attempt because you chose something. It flows awkward. off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. I love titles like that, though, and I don't know why. I'm sure it aggravates people. Um, so it's called... Uh, see, now I've got to do it myself. Morris is... You've got to look it up. You? <laughs> you know, every time we do the podcast, I actually have it open in front of me on, a, on an iPad just to make sure I say it right. It's not that bad. Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk is what it's called. Beautiful. And, um, yeah, it started... 14 weeks ago now because I think we just recorded the 14th episode uh, me and my friend Peter Coffey who also lives here in Southampton obviously I run um, EN World which is uh, an RPG news site so it's essentially the podcast version of that uh, so we mm. cover all the latest RPG news first of all we uh, talk a bit about what sort of has caught our eye that week 
what we're geeking out about that particular week. Um, we have a bit of fun. We do a little sketch. We um, we're not very good at it, but we do it anyway. And people seem to engage with it. So uh, we play a fun game, which is um, our favourite game in all the world. Um, guess the Kickstarter just from the name and nothing else. Another catchy title. Um, which I basically um, read out the names of currently running Kickstarter. It's basically a way to promote currently running Kickstarters, but have a bit of fun with it. I read out the names of currently running yeah. Kickstarters, and then Peter has to try and guess what they are from just the name. And then I give him a very, very scientific <laughs> score based on some. He's not hoping to score big on like Judge Dredd in the Worlds of 2000 AD next time. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, what could it be about? <laughs> Well, I might try that one with him. I was on. A, I was on another podcast on Saturday night. I think it goes out next Wednesday or next next week sometime. And uh, it's uh, it's, a, it's a US one uh, called Shane Plays. It's a US radio show, and they do the podcast mm. later. I think. Uh, and uh, he listens to the podcast, and he made me play that game just so I could oh, find out man. what it's like to be on the uh, on the wrong end of that particular game. And it's actually really <laughs> difficult. <laughs> really tough yeah. <laughs> uh, and embarrassingly one of the things he asked me was one of the ones I'd asked Peter the week before and completely forgot about oh no oh no <laughs> it was cringeworthily embarrassing um, yeah so yes yeah, so it's just a fun little podcast about an hour each week of us discussing the latest RPG news we enjoy it yeah it's good I mean the hub is grown to an extent now I think there is like a week's worth of content every time isn't there like if you go back a few years to the when we were nippers, there wasn't probably enough information to go around. I think there probably was. It's just that you didn't necessarily know about it because you didn't have the internet. You mm. didn't have it all gathered Possibly. for you. So you were basically waiting each month to look in a magazine to find out what the upcoming releases were or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's more content now. I think there's more content provided. During the 80s, there were loads of games coming out, weren't there? Loads there of There was, actually. Do you think? Yeah, there, were, there was a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was. Just thinking about stuff like modules... In the eighties, oh, so, so, oh yeah, just just oh, TSR's D and D stuff was massive. And... Oh, if you just think think yeah. of TSR's Marvel stuff when they yeah. were doing Marvel Super, the, the old Face Rip game, there was an enormous amount of content that came out. Yeah, for that. and there was loads yeah. of licensed stuff as well. There was you know Star Wars, um, Western Games of Star Wars. There was Ghostbusters. There was Just Dread, as as we mentioned earlier. There was tons of it. Mm. I guess where I'm coming from, I think there's there's more new games now True. rather than Kickstarter. Like, you know, there's fewer games, but more stuff for them. I think Kickstarter yeah. has been such a blessing for the industry. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's out there now that wouldn't have existed without that form of doing it because not everyone's got like thousands of pounds. But... Just the RPG industry, take it, just ignoring the rest of the sort of tabletop gaming industry, like the board games and the card games and the miniatures games and stuff. Just the RPG industry has gone, I think, in about five years from about worldwide about 15 million dollars which is a lot of money to you or I but you know it's not yeah. a, it's not a big worldwide industry to uh, well over 45.50 as of this year so it's like wow. trebled in size just in the last few years mm. Mm, that's bonkers I think that's a lot that's a lot due to D&D 5th edition's sort of explosive growth uh, and it's also a lot of the sort of streaming stuff like Critical Role and all that sort of stuff has become so big yeah, and it's a yeah, massively definitely. good ambassador for Toby Top Robin games, which shows that not everyone has to be a sort of basement dwelling, you know, antisocial kind of, you know, <laughs> it shows that, you know, normal people play tabletop RPGs and celebrities mm -hmm. are coming out yeah. and admitting they play tabletop RPGs and stuff like that. 
and that's I think that's really helping the image of the game yeah yeah for definitely sure. uh, the, the sort of next steps to get people from to, from saying I've played D&D or I know what Critical Role is to saying tabletop role play games you know or to play other things yeah I'm conscious we don't want to force people to play things that aren't D&D if they're not ready yeah. or whatever or yeah well, D- well D&D fun, is, but it's still you know D- it's so massive yeah, it's still D&D and then everyone else yeah I mean Pathfinder, Pathfinder did overtake it for about four years during the D&D 4th edition phase mm-hmm. but even then Pathfinder is right. a flavour of D&D so if you look at it you're, you're still talking D&D, right? two yeah. flavours of D&D were battling out the top spot mm. yeah, yeah so you know and D&D sure. is so much bigger so, so it's like 80% of the market at least yeah well as, as of next week it'll be uh, 2008 <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah dominating well, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we I'm hoping we do well I, th- I think we will if we don't if we don't do well sure it's not will. because we haven't done everything right I'll tell you that because we've uh, planned this Kickstarter down to the last detail done everything we're supposed to do it's uh, you know it's a very very well planned it's going to be a very well run Kickstarter so Oh, you'll be fine. Can we have you back on in five years when you're still releasing source books for Stronti and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course you can. Because <laughs> we'll need the content by then. We will have literally run out of things to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brilliant. Well, it's been great having you on, Russ. I'm conscious of time. We've uh, we've managed to fill our hour quite easily. We could probably talk for another hour once we're yeah, going. Well, but, um, if you ever if you ever want to do it again, I'm more than more than willing to do so. I love doing this sort of thing. Cool. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks ever yeah. so much, Russ. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been fun. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye.